when something's our job and we downplay it saying I helped out or I just did this or we instead of I when you totally did all the work it, it becomes confusing of what really has our impact and it gives a sense of like tentativeness to to the amazing work that we we're trying to put forward whether you're working a corporate job, side hustling, or building a business, Working Girl Talk is the podcast and community for women who work. I'm your host, Abby Zufelt, and I'm here to help you feel confident walking into the workday and to help you tackle your career. Now, let's talk. Have you ever felt stuck? Stuck in your career? Stuck in a project at work? If you have, you may have also wondered, what's making me feel stuck? Is there something I can do about it? In today's episode with Leah Garvin, you'll discover, yes, there is something you can do about it and you can do it right now. Leah has spent a decade working in big tech. You may be familiar with some of the places she's worked, including Microsoft, Apple, and Google, where she was a senior operations leader. After seeing the common challenges found in the modern workplace, she has now dedicated her life to helping professional women who are trying to break through to the next level in their careers, but are feeling stuck. She's also the author of the upcoming book, Unstuck, which is all about the power of perspective and how we can use it to reinvent our lives to do the best work we possibly can. We talk about the book in the show and I cannot wait until it comes out. A working girl talk pick for sure. Leah is also a TEDx speaker for at the 2022 TEDx conference in Boca Raton and is a speaker at South by Southwest Conference 2022. She is amazing and a perfect guest for this show. I cannot wait for all the working girls to hear what she has to say. As you listen to today's conversation, I want you to think about how you can apply Leah's reframing practices into your own life. There is so much working girl goodness in today's episode. Leah, welcome to the show. You recently spoke at TEDx, which is amazing, huge deal. And that can also maybe be a little nerve wracking, a, a little scary. You're also going to be speaking at South by Southwest soon, but things like that can be a little nerve wracking and can maybe bring up maybe some imposter syndrome as you're preparing. How do you reframe your thoughts? Like, so maybe you're about to go walk on that stage. How do you reframe your thoughts and be out that negativity right then? I love, 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 love that question because public speaking is something like you're alluding to that probably everybody sort of struggles with. I mean, at least most of us. And, and it's something that even when we have a lot of practice can still be really hard. And, and there were a few things that I started to do, especially while I was preparing for the TEDx talk, um, that, that started to finally alleviate my nerves around public speaking, which has been like a life struggle of <laughs> something to get over. And so super excited to share and, and the first and foremost thing is to remember your why. Why are you getting up there? And whether it's to do a job interview or to give a talk or, or you know, to, to just deliver a message, it's remembering why we're there, the purpose behind it, which is typically to help people, to, to unblock people, to um, share your gifts you know, and your skills with this company if it's an interview. And, and for me, with, with my, my talk, my why was really about helping other people um, reframe their relationship with decision-making, which is what the talk's about. And, 
And it was really about giving. And I heard an amazing quote or, or um, clip by Simon Sinek, the, the author of Start With Why, it's really popular TED Talks as well, that said, you know, great public speakers aren't there to take. They're not there for the views. They're not there for, you know, the applause or this or that. They're there to give and that's it. And that mindset and that reframe, that shift, just, it kind of was such an aha moment for me that this isn't about like, you know, a standing ovation or how many likes or views, nothing like that. This is just about being myself, you know, having fun, enjoying the moment and, and just giving. And, and I found that my, my whole frame on it from being super nervous, like, oh my God, what if I blank out? What if I start shaking? What if I laugh? I don't even know. It just totally fell away. And I had, so that's like my number one, you know, advice to, to folks that are, have a, some sort of public speaking thing coming up, big or small, is to remember why you're there. And, and it's way less about, you know, you being judged by other people and, and liked by them. And it's about the message. And that just sets us up so much better for success. That is such a good point. And I liked that you just mentioned, like, it's not being like judged by other people. I don't think anyone goes into like an audience or a job interview on the opposite end, like wanting to judge you. Like it's, I don't know why we we think that, but it's like unlocking something for me right now. But that is funny. Like, why do we assume the worst? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's like a central theme of my book is this inner critic um, telling us everybody's watching us. We're not good enough. We can't do it. And, and, you know, unstuck is really about reframing that voice and saying, Hey, wait a second, what else do I know? Because like you say, like there's other evidence that we're getting, which is people in the audience, they, you know, they're here to have a good time, to learn something, to, to celebrate you. They're not here like, all right, let's say like (laughs) this person better not blow it. Like nobody wants to do that. Yes, totally. And I'm glad you brought up the book. So Leah has a new book coming out. So excited to read this. The title is Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People that Hold You Back. When I first read that, I was like, wait, like, can Leah read minds over here? Because (laughs) I feel very seen and it really resonates with me right off the bat. So very excited about that. And even the title alone, that word unstuck. And I know a lot of the time in my career, running a side hustle like this too, you can feel, you can feel stuck a lot. And a lot of my listeners who are just starting in their career journeys, they, they can get that feeling too, which is funny when you're even new in your career. It's like, why do I feel stuck already? Like I've only been at this a few years. So as you've been working with different women and with coaching, why are we getting stuck? Is there a common theme that you see that's holding us back? Totally. And, and I love you brought up folks earlier in their careers. I mean, that's, that's some of my favorite people to work with because we can, we can help get unstuck earlier. Like I, I share in my book, all of these things that I tried and didn't go so well. And so that people early in their careers can not go down those same paths or to learn something earlier that I wish I had learned earlier. And, um, and so I think, so yes, love, love that. And um, so I think some of the common reasons we get, a, we get stuck, especially as women, is we're, we're sort of fed these messages throughout our upbringing, you know, be nice, don't show off, you know, good work gets noticed, you know, don't brag, um, perfectionism sort of starts to set in. And so we have these sort of societal biases and expectations and, and stereotypes somewhat that 
and it's not true for all cultures, but, but that typically women are more subject to. And so we have that on one hand, and then our inner critic starts to attach to those messages and believe those things like, oh, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to be a show off. So I don't want to really, you know, talk about my work too, too much. Like I'm, I'm bragging or uh, I'm in a negotiation. I don't want to ask for too much or, or put someone off. So I'm just going to kind of say yes. Or um, when someone gives me feedback, maybe I'm a little bit in that perfectionist zone, which I live in and <laughs> it's, a, it's a struggle. Um, and then when someone gives us feedback, we think they don't like me. They don't think I'm good enough. They don't, and we go, we go really you know, kind of spiral with it. And so I'd say that the stuckness comes from these two things coming together, like these, these messages we've been getting and then sort of starting to identify them in, in, in their critic. And so the book Unstuck is really about how to recognize that, yeah, these messages do exist. And, and these are things like sort of on the macro level we, we want to fight against and change, of course. And while we're doing that, there's some of these internalized things that we can start to reframe and look at differently. And that's where we start to see that we don't have to um, attach to these beliefs that we did before. So like you mentioned feedback, um, not, not, not attaching to the belief that feedback's a criticism or it's something people don't like about you or it means that you're not good enough, but that it's a message about how the person giving the feedback is, is perceiving you. And in one situation, someone could perceive whatever you're doing as awesome and super helpful and, and great. And in another situation, someone could say, oh, I, I think you should fine tune this thing. And you're the same person doing the same thing. And when we realize that, we start to get a little bit of space from thinking, you know, in these absolutes a little bit. I really like that you talk about feedback a lot. This is something you've done YouTube videos on and that you're mentioning it now because we don't talk about feedback, giving it and receiving it. Like, why is nobody talking about that? Like, it's kind of like, it's there. It's a part of work, probably not a great part, but it's there, whatever we move on. How have you kind of developed that muscle on like giving feedback better in the workplace and also like embracing it and not being afraid of it? Yeah. So you're so right. I mean, I think we, feedback comes up so many places, but not a lot of people are good at giving it and especially not receiving it. And, and I think it's one of those things that in the workplace, it becomes so scary, like to have a conversation with your manager about feedback or, you know, to get that performance review where a lot of times people feel really caught off guard by whatever is being shared. And I think with first with giving feedback, you know, there's some basics around um, thinking through, you know, how can I deliver this message with empathy? Right, not making assumptions about why someone did something or what's going on, but but putting yourself in the other person's shoes, I think, is like a really like easy automatic thing we can always be doing when we're giving feedback. Um, the next thing is to is to um, is to be really specific, right? I think sometimes people share feedback like even positive, like good job, and I'm like, well good job with what part? Like <laughs> if I gave a presentation, was it the design? Was it how I delivered it? Was it the content? Was it how I organized the meeting? And so getting really specific allows people to reproduce a positive behavior or fine tune something that could have gone better. So specificity is another really big one. Um, and then I think too, is even asking ourselves, am I the right person to deliver this message? So sometimes we notice something or think something should be different that, um, isn't really our, our job to do. Like maybe we're not someone's manager, we're their colleague or we work loosely with them. And, and sometimes I think it's okay to say, 
huh, I noticed this thing. Like, I don't have to share feedback about every single thing I observe in my life every moment. And, and that sort of figuring out, am I the right person to deliver this message? Um, and then running through that sort of empathy piece, I think is another thing that can, that can save ourselves from potentially delivering feedback where it's met with defensiveness, which can cause fear of even giving feedback. So, so those are a few things around giving. Now receiving, it's like a lot harder. And um, I, I think a few things. First is to remember, again, feedback is a data point about how we're being perceived. And, and this book, Thanks for the Feedback by um, Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen, uh, my favorite books about feedback. Silly, I have favorite books about feedback. <laughs> but this book really reminds us that feedback is a data point. It's not truth, a universal truth about who we are. For example, if someone gives us feedback about, we talked about public speaking, about like our, how we set up a presentation. And let's say we set off the meeting talking about, you know, the agenda, what we want to get through today, and then dove into the content. One person might say, oh, I love the structure of that. Another person might say, oh, I wish we just jumped right in. Well, that's just their preference, right? And so we don't want to be thrashed by any single person's perception because we have to remember, we all have our preferences and that's fine. And so I think when we hear a piece of feedback, it's it's thinking about, okay, who gave me this feedback? You know, what's sort of like, is this person, um, is this person someone that, you know, is, is responsible for like things that I want to do in my career? Is this person just kind of observing on the side? And then does this piece of feedback get in the way of where I want to be with my career? So for example, if you work in, I don't know, sales and someone gives you feedback that you, you, you know, about like technical skills and those have nothing to do with your job. Like, you know, maybe you say, okay, yeah, I could develop that one day, but it has really nothing to do with the goals that I have for myself. So I'm not going to focus on that because I think feedback can also create a sense of like overwhelm, like, ah, oh, I got to fix everything about myself and I have to do it immediately and everything's wrong. And and so focusing in on a few key things that would really help set you up for success and achieving your goals, like that's where I would start. And the rest of it, you're going to get data a lot of times and, and a lot of it's kind of could be sort of tossed aside until it really comes up as something you want to work on. Mm-hmm. I really like the the thought that it's, it's a data point. It kind of, it is what it is. Cause I know it, when I have been in leadership positions, sometimes I'm kind of on the opposite end where I'm afraid that I'm being like too mean. So I'm yeah. too nice to where the point doesn't get across. So it doesn't do anyone any good. So I think that's cause that kind of can help if you're on my end like that, you get yeah. more direct, but on the other end to just kind of focus on what's important too. Well, I love that you said that because I think as feedback receivers, we can also have empathy for the giver, knowing that giving feedback's hard and, and that, you know, our giving our manager or whoever the benefit of the doubt that this person has our best interests in mind and they want us to be successful and to not, to, to have a little bit of, you know, empathy when hearing the message that if it wasn't worded in the exact perfect way, maybe the person had you know, was a little bit uncomfortable delivering a hard message. I think a lot of us are uncomfortable with that and it um, can get a little bit wordy or it comes off a little bit, but yes. it's that their heart is in the right place. Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely been there with the wordiness. I'm working on it. <laughs> Back to the book, Unstuck. When was the last time you were stuck and how did you get out of it? I know I'm, this is kind of a curveball. <laughs> Like every me, hour. I'm like, yeah. I'm like every day I'm stuck. 
one place that that has come up for me recently so my I was mentioning in our, in our conversation before we started my book launch date got delayed and I started getting stuck around a feeling of impatience like oh, I just want this like to be out in the world I'm so excited like I was always you know I, I, I wanted people you know to be able to start experiencing and all these things and I and um, I started getting stuck and I would say a a perspective of impatience and I don't have a chapter on reframing patience but you know book two might so <laughs> and and I think I was stuck in just wanting wanting things to move faster and wanting to like have things sooner and I think the and when we're in that sort of like obviously you know we're, we're not focusing on the present like that was taking me away from enjoying you know, the ability to have more conversations about it, to do more, to get the word out about it, to just, to just enjoy this process of um, launching my first book, learning about everything, just like really, really celebrating that. And I think um, the, when we find ourselves operating in really, in general, we find ourselves operating like in the past or, or far in the future and wanting things to be different. <laughs> like, I think we, we, we just have a, automatic flag that we're not being present and we're, we're kind of missing out on, on the ability to enjoy. And, and once I shifted that mindset and reframed from being, feeling impatient, um, to saying, Ooh, this is awesome. Like I have more time to be able to really enjoy this phase before this, this book's out in the world. Um, then I just started to approach it really differently. Like I started to, um, you know, be excited sharing more like sort of sort of diving into well how can I talk about it or or like you said I, I make videos and and how can I present these ideas differently and how can I um how can I just enjoy this process and learn more about it and 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 that reframe helped a lot to to get unstuck and and to not feel just like I'm waiting and and sort of my head somewhere else I'm sure you're excited about the whole book but <laughs> Is there a specific like chapter or part of it that you are really excited for working women who like who are, are the listeners of this podcast, people like us who are you're really excited for them to read? Yeah, I, I would say my favorite chapter, I believe, or, or sort of reframe topic is um, is our impact reframing talking about our work and getting like the value and, and importance of our work out there in the world. And, and that became my favorite because I had so much pain around this, such a struggle around talking about my work. I, um, in my book, I, I disclosed the, the fun fact that for a while I couldn't even talk about that. I was writing a book without laughing. Like, what is that? I don't know. I'm still like almost laughing right now, but, but, um, I think it was, you know, discomfort owning my authority or expertise or what are people going to think or what if people think it's silly or nobody likes it or and and these things that we're telling ourselves around our work even when we're doing amazing incredible things that people or other people would be excited about we can just believe it's dumb nobody cares and then sort of get in our own way and I mean even to be here talking about it like I, I obviously had to work through that pretty hard and and I, I noticed in, in coaching women around um, how to, you know, set themselves up for success in a job interview or asking for a promotion or, or working on a performance review or just really advocating around their impact with their manager, I found this pattern keep coming up of, I don't want to brag, I, I don't want to show off. And then 
those messages would sort of translate into people describing their work, like really downplaying it. Like, oh, I kind of do this, or I, I sort of help with this, or sort of describing it as like a list of random things. And I would, and as I started seeing this, I said to someone, why don't you explain what you do to me as if I'm like your best friend and so excited about what you work on. And I did that with a few people and I saw, oh my God, like the way they talk about their work is so different. It's so awesome. I can see the impact right there. And instead of like getting caught up in the perfect language, I think, you know, writing resume, we like focus on the, the getting it all perfect wording first. I think the tip there is to say, well, how would I talk about this if, if there was like no filter, if nobody was going to judge it, if nobody was going to say I was bragging, like, what do I actually think I did? And then we see, oh, wow, like, this is pretty amazing. I am amazing. And then I did all this stuff. And so I think reframing our impact, like really that's about talking about our work um, is huge. And, and that also can come into play of like connecting the dots between what you're doing and what your company or your job or your organization cares about. Because I think we can also talk about our work in a way that's like, yeah, that's all great, but like, so what? And you just don't want somebody to ask, so what? Because like, you don't want somebody to even ask that question. So we, we answer the so what as we talk about it. I do these things. This is what the company needs. And I do these things in support of that. Something like that really helps. Um, last thing about impact is watching that language. Like I, I mentioned, we can kind of use diminishing language to talk about it. Like, let's not say I help out really like ever with nothing. <laughs> Don't say helping out because when something's our job and we downplay it saying I helped out or I just did this or, you know, we instead of I, when you totally did all the work, it, it becomes confusing of what really is our impact. And it, and it gives a sense of like tentativeness to, to the amazing work that we're trying to put forward. That is so powerful. I am so glad that this is a topic you're covering in the book and here, so powerful. I once heard something to the effect of if you're not your own biggest cheerleader, like who else will be? Like you're yes. your own, you're your own best advocate. So we need to start acting like it. So yeah. I'm so glad that you say that. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're the best equipped to be able to do that, right? Because we know about our unique strengths and superpowers and skills. And yeah, it's it's important to have people championing our work too. And they can't do that effectively if we haven't first explained like what we do and why it matters. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so many applications for that in work, yes. to your coworkers, to friends, networking. Yes. We need to get more comfortable with that. I'm so glad you, so glad you said that. So everyone take note of that today. <laughs> <laughs> and going back to actually like the process of writing the book, the start of that, like when you first had the idea, how, like, was that scary at all to kind of be like, wait, I'm really doing this. Like I'm putting something out into the world. Can you kind of walk us through that starting point? Yeah. So I love writing and I write, um, previously I'd written a lot of short form things like that I posted on medium or other forms. So I had a little bit of comfort around the writing piece. Um, this kind of came up, it was over the holidays, just over two years ago. Um, and I, I just got this idea. I, I, I wake up early before my toddler wakes up. So every, every morning I wake up um, and I, and I do a little bit of writing just kind of for fun. And I was like, 
and and I was toying around with this concept of reframing. I was like, okay, I got to get this down on paper. And it definitely started with feedback because that's the hardest one. <laughs> but then I started to think, well, where else does this show up? And that's where the talking about your work piece sort of showed up. And I said, oh, okay, well, it also shows up in, um, in demonstrating our value, which is related to impact, but it sort of takes shape as like not, not sort of identifying as being a fixer, a problem solver, but these more strategic ways. And then it also took shape in, in so many other ways. And, and the, and I wrote like the first draft in about a week or two, wow. like I just was like cranking it out. And, and I think one thing that really helped was, um, I wrote the book and, and readers will see it's really exactly how I would be talking about it here. Like I, I was said, you know, I want this to be relatable. I want people to, you know, hear firsthand stories, stuff that I've struggled with, stuff that I've learned. I, I love reading books around a lot of these tools. Um, so weaving in pieces like that, stuff I've learned in trainings. And and by having it just really authentically in my voice, it it just flowed out so much more easily. Um, and and that was my goal. Like I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm writing a textbook and saying like, here's how to get a job because that's, that one, it's not authentic. So it would be so much harder. And two, I don't think that's what people really need because we have a lot of that already. Um, and, and so writing it really authentically and then, um, and then breaking it up into these, you know, there's 12 challenges that I, that I work through in the, in the book helps because, you know, you're not writing one 300 page book about one topic, but you can jump around. So I would, work on one section and then jump around another one and come back. And, and so it was a really fun exercise of thinking about, Ooh, well, like what else in the, in the topic of decision-making can I dig up, which, which is the ever long constant struggle. So, yeah. I love that. That's so, that's an awesome journey. And you've mentioned decision-making a few different times. So one tip for somebody who really struggles with making decisions, especially in when it comes to their career path or their job, what's like your number one tip for that? Well, I'll share my number one tip that actually is the funny enough topic of my TEDx talk coming out is, um, is about reframing the finality of decisions. And so a lot of times when we get stuck with decision-making, it's about it has to be perfect. What if this, what if that? And we start running through like millions of scenarios about what if we get it wrong. And, and so my tip here is to focus on trying to make the right decision for right now, letting go of it, having to be perfect forever, having to, because that's just like all hypotheticals. And we get stuck in hypothetical land. Like, yeah, it's, it's not looking really good because a lot of times hypothetical land is very negative. And, and so I think, especially if we're prone to, to go into like, yeah, like a negative place and we're thinking into the future to say, okay, what is the right decision for right now, even for today, if that's as far as we can go. And that can help us with, you know, both like trivial decisions, like, oh, if I should buy this small thing or not, but also with bigger moves, like career moves. I, I've, um, had a lot of different kinds of jobs, not different kinds of companies. And I, I've struggled with, even though I've moved around a lot, like I've struggled with every single one of those, like hardcore. And it's because I get stuck in deciding like, what if this, what if that, oh my God, like in a couple of years, this, do I want to live? And it's like, well, I think the pandemic showed us that really nothing is certain. So location isn't certain, what you're even doing isn't certain, the way we even work changed completely. So saying, 
what what do I want for right now, the next few months, six months, one year, and like locking in that time horizon to a smaller window, I think that can help free us from this, that it has to be perfect, or it has to like lead us to this next thing, and then this, and then this, because truth is, we, we just don't really know. Such a good mindset to have. And I know a lot of people today are like, oh, okay, like the, the light bulb's getting clicked yeah. on because that can so help us. And you mentioned your career path, and that's something that we're always interested in on this show. So I want to hop back in time a little bit because you've had a really interesting career. You've worked at some of the largest tech companies that we all know, like Microsoft, Apple, Google, all, all our guys. All our, <laughs> and um, so what like was working in tech like this always the dream? What did that look like that college to your first job? path? Like how did this journey come about? Yeah. I mean, it's funny what I'm doing today because I studied sociology in college and I was like, well, I'm never going to use that degree, but <laughs> I would say now I use some of that in my, in my coaching and my work with teams. But um, yeah, I studied sociology and did like a lot of just kind of different kinds of jobs after college, nothing related to tech. I, I worked at um, a nonprofit. I worked at a video production company. Um, and then I was an admin assistant for a little while and in, um, actually from, from working in a temp role, um, as an admin at Bank of America, when that role was winding down, I, um, applied internally to, to, to do a full-time job more as a project manager. And that actually really started my career trajectory working in this sort of project and operations space. Um, and essentially it was like, did I know what I want to do? Absolutely not. Like, do I have, <laughs> do I have like more clarity now or not, not really. But I think like a lot of folks early in their, in their careers ask, like, how did you know what you wanted to do? And I think for a lot of us these days, it's, it's constantly shifting and evolving. And so, um, you know, I, I worked in this role um, as a tech project manager at Bank of America. I started to learn a lot of the skills around project and program management and operations. I then um, moved uh, back to the Bay Area where I'm from and, and was a project manager in a few different design firms. Um, always in the back of my mind was interested in tech because um, growing up in the Bay Area, you know, it's something that you see and, and also just, just a sort of kind of hobbyist, like working with computers from an early age, like not like building stuff, but like <laughs> being like comfortable using computers. Um, but, uh, and actually when I was, um, in a role as a project manager in a design firm, I got recruited from LinkedIn to, to go to Microsoft and literally it was in my spam folder. So, so note to everybody, check that spam folder on the regular, uh, yeah, a recruiter reached out. It was in my spam folder. I, I don't know what compelled me to look at it, but, um, reached out about joining Microsoft, um, and, and the rest was kind of history and, um, and, but the rest wasn't easy. And I would say, you know, that started the, the, yeah, it opened the door to work in that space, but, um, you know, learning how to negotiate, learning how to work in tech as a non-engineer, learning how to, um, to, to really navigate working in a large company and really, you know, talk about my work that like we talked about so that I don't sort of just get like lost in the sea of people. Those are all things that I had to develop a lot, like over and over and ongoing over the years. Um, and, and 
each of the different experiences, you know, and 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 many many learnings and frustrating situations, but also finding those people that were my advocates and champions along the way, people that I could learn from. Um, I think, and and especially as a non you know engineer working in, in tech, I think finding what is my strength there so that it's not always like should i go to like get a computer science degree like i'm not good enough like none of this is i don't i'm never going to measure up and i dealt with those thoughts a lot early on like god like do people think i don't know anything i don't understand anything i can't explain you know these technical issues well that narrative really took hold for a long time and when i started to move away from feeling like I had to, when I started to say, okay, well, what, what am I bringing to this situation? Um, I would say, well, I, I love working with teams. I love sort of observing the interpersonal dynamics and, and helping people communicate better and helping um, sort of people work through stuff, getting in their way from being able to get their work done. And it was like, all of this started to come to the surface that I was really an expert on these people, interpersonal and team dynamics. And it, that was my strength. And it's like, yeah, engineers, you got this, you do that, that's you, but I have the people stuff and those things have to go together. And once I started embracing that, um, other people started to embrace it. And I was asked to, you know, bring that in in more leadership capacity in other teams. And it was because I wasn't chasing something that wasn't authentic to me. Like if I had been interested in going into computer science, I would have done it, but, but that wasn't my thing. And so sort of, believing I'm not good enough at something I don't even want to do is like, eh. <laughs> like that's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. I love that. It's always so good to be aligned with what you're doing. And yeah. I think that will resonate with so many because sometimes we are in roles where it's a role kind of outside what the company does. And that may hold us back from even applying or yeah. wanting to work there, but all roles have a place in, yeah. in the place, especially huge corporations like that for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're sort of in the midst of looking at a career change or a pivot, or you wanting to break into another kind of industry, really thinking about like, what are your superpowers and what are these transferable skills, like problem solving, communication, connecting the dots, like helping, you know, distill complex information into something simpler. Like there's, there's a set of, I think, transferable skills that are really, really important for a lot of different kinds of roles. And when we recognize, okay, these are some of the things that I'm great at that I also enjoy doing, then we can tailor a search of like, okay, well, where is this kind of thing needed? And so, you know, communication skills is like needed with everything, but, <laughs> but like, that's like, you know, problem solving shows up a lot in project management, it shows up in operations type of work, it shows up in, you know, product design, it, like there's a lot of different places we can apply those kinds of skills and then focus how we want to develop ourselves um, along like this narrower path instead of feeling like, well, if I want to change jobs, I have to re restart completely and like learn an entire like new, you know, I have to like start with my education from square one. Like it's not the case in, um, in many situations. Definitely. And I like that you mentioned superpowers. So that's the homework today. Everyone listening, go think, what are your superpowers? Really reflect. Cause I think sometimes we're so busy moving on to the next thing, but we never stop to reflect like, and get to know us. Like, what do I bring to the table? What am I good at? So I, I really like that superpowers. 
Yeah. Write them down and then put them in post-its like around your workspace, right? Don't forget that these things are so important. I'm like adding extra credit to the homework. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes. Bonus points. So we are almost to the working girl talk top 10. This is flying by before we get to that. I have one last question for you. So you are a mom, you work in tech, you've been writing a book, Ted talk, so many things, launching a coaching and leadership workshop, all of that. How, how do you, how have you done it? What was helpful? <laughs> What was helpful for you kind of managing all these different things? Because I, I think sometimes we can definitely feel the pressure of all the things we want to do, which are exciting, but it's kind of like, how do I do all of it? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I, I mentioned I wake up early. I, I, you know, we, at some point, you know, we got to, I think, carve out more time for what we want to do, especially if it's stuff we have to, you know, really, that, that's really like labor intensive. So I'd say, the the writing I all do, you know, in the morning before my toddler wakes up and then at, in the evening after she goes to bed. And so I kind of have, I'm pretty diligent with my time management and in this whenever I have time that's like not the day job. And and I think in doing that, while I can feel like, you know, to one person might seem overly structured, it's the way that I know that I can take these things on and can get things done. So I think it's really important when we're building a side hustler or start or managing a lot of different things going on that we say, okay, here's kind of conceptually when I know I'll have time for these different things. Um, then the next thing, you know, as I, you know, having very, very versed in like project and pro program management, I treat all that I'm doing as a big project that I have spreadsheets to track what I'm doing. Um, I use a system to really make sure I know where the status of everything is. I know what I want to pick up and work on if we only have little pockets of time to, to jump on the computer 30 minutes or something to, to work on something, we want to know exactly what we want to tackle. And so having that really clear to-do list, um, like readily available so that we're not like, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> like spend 15 of the 20 minutes kind of figuring it out. Um, so having a system to really be able to jump in. Um, and then third, you know, just like we talked about in the, in the beginning around, um, around the, the the public speaking stuff, remembering why we're doing this. And again, especially if it's you know, something on the side, it can be really, really time consuming. It can start, um, we can have to spend a lot of time on it before it turns into something bigger. And if we aren't really, really passionate about it, it can be hard to keep going when we encounter any stress or setbacks. It's like, oh, should I even do this? Or like, you know, it starts to become, and when we know why we're doing it and, you know, we know, we know why we're here, we know what it's for and, and we are really, really living our passion. I think it becomes so much easier to remind ourselves of that when we get stressed, when we have to stay up later in the night, when we have to use some weekend time to do it, whatever it is, because without that, it just becomes a hobby that, you know, we might just like trade out for another hobby and that's fine too. And if we say, okay, well, this is about downtime and, and freedom and space, then, then call it that. But I think knowing exactly what we're doing and, and what it's for is really important. Love that. If I could drop this mic, I <laughs> <laughs> let's head in to the working girl talk, top 10, 10 quick questions for the audience to get to know you better. My first job ever babysitter. I started babysitting at like 10. 10 years old. And now I look at 10 year olds. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I, would I put my seven year old with a 10 year old? I don't know about that. 
But yeah, first job ever, I think at 10 or 11 was babysitter. My day is not complete without. My day is not complete without exercise. I love to exercise at some point, either taking a walk or running, you know, taking a jog, yoga, whatever it is. But yeah, exercise. I'm obsessed with blank right now. I am obsessed with, I actually started watching Yellowstone, which is like, I love it. I, <laughs> I was love. a late joiner, <laughs> but yeah, I, I got through it very quickly because of that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm a late joiner too. I watched in January. I started and now we're rewatching it because we're like, yeah. what we, there's nothing else. What do we watch? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Love it. Have you watched 1883? Not yet. So Ooh, we just good. Finished? Okay. So good. It's crazy. So good. Oh, I gotta watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone that I look up to. I really look up to my manager, my current manager that I work for. Um, she is someone that is incredibly empathetic and understanding and supportive, but also pushes me to, to, to do more, you know, shares that hard feedback, but because I know she cares, like I can hear it. And it's made me develop my own better relation with feedback. It's made me, um, you know, really feel like, okay, this is what I'd want to teach other people about how to be a manager. And, and it's someone that, um, has just been a real, you know, they say you don't want only a mentor, you want a sponsor, a real sponsor for my, for my work. And currently listening to, so this could be a podcast, audiobook, or a song. I have blinding lights by the weekend on like repeat. I like, that's my pump up song. If I'm <laughs> in a talk, I listen to it like in the bathroom before the TED talk, like jumping up and down. That's a, that's a life hack. If you're like trying to get energy out, I guess doing jumping jacks or things before a talk. Sometimes you can make your heart rate go up too. It's so like, try it out before you do it like on, on the scene, but uh, so the weekend, uh, and then listening to the power of regret by Daniel Pink, Ooh. it's sort of as an overthinker, it helps you realize that, Hey, there's some value in that. It's not always like, you know, that there's some learning that can happen when, when we have regrets, it's just like, how do, what do we do with that learning? That's really helpful. Ooh, I definitely need to read that. <laughs> Favorite workday snack. Peanuts. I love like dry roasted peanuts. I literally have a can of them right <laughs> in my office. So peanuts, honey roasted, uh, dry roasted, you name it. Um, peanuts in the shell, like at a baseball game is my ultimate favorite, but I can't have that at the computer. It's going to be a total disaster. Yeah. I have blank at my desk always. I have water. I would say water also at my desk. And number eight, I feel most confident when I feel most confident when I'm smiling and being like more fun. My, my sort of like default state is to be smiling and to be, you know, having fun and, and sort of like making, you know, creating a space where other people can smile. So that's where I'm most confident. Proudest moment in my career so far. I think doing that TEDx talk, it was an end of January. So it's pretty recent. So I'm still flying high from it. And like we talked about, I was, once I got picked to do it. I was like, Oh my God, what have I done? And it was, I mean, I was like, went through all the stages of panic and like shock and what am I gonna do? And being able to work through that whole journey, writing the talk, practicing it over 200 times, mind you, <laughs> um, being able to go up there, even though public speaking, is something I have just sort of struggled with for years in my career, just doing it and, and having fun and, and getting there. I'd say like, that's, that's by far the proudest moment. Cause that was like, for me, that's like my like skydiving, like <laughs> going on that stage without throwing up was skydiving. For me. Number 10, 
I am inspired by blank. I am inspired by this is everybody that's out there trying to do something awesome. Like people, so many different places are out there building a side hustle, trying to get their word out, talking about the change that we want to see in the workplace, how to support each other. And I'm just inspired by all of that energy to like make this place, especially workplace dynamics, like what you are doing. I mean, just making people feel better about work in general. I I think it's such a, it can be so consuming, feeling stressed about it, feeling alone and struggling, feeling stuck. And, And I'm so inspired by anybody, especially you, Abby, like doing things that are helping people, women feel like, I got this. I'm not alone. Someone is there to support me. So that is like, such an infinite inspiration for me. Yes, we we definitely share that inspiration. <laughs> yes, that is a huge mission of this show. So Leah, you, you made it through the top 10. <laughs> we made it. And where can everybody get Unstuck and follow you and keep up? Unstuck is available for pre-order now. So get your copy. You can get on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Reach out to me on my website at leahgarvin.com on Instagram at, at leah.garvin. I mentioned my YouTube channel. So that's reframe with Leah is my YouTube channel or on LinkedIn, like total number of places to get in touch with me. But I always love to hear from folks. So please do reach out and get the book and join me on the journey to get unstuck. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Leah. Make sure to go follow her. And today's Friday favorite is Leah's book, Unstuck. I cannot wait until it comes out in April. Definitely a book we all need right now. Thank you so much for listening to Working Girl Talk. I hope it provided you value. If you know somebody at work or one of your friends who is kind of feeling stuck right now and maybe needs some help reframing or wanting to learn about giving good feedback, I love that topic. Make sure to copy the link to this episode and share it with them. If you haven't in a while, make sure to leave a review for Working Girl Talk so I can know if you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful work day. I will talk to you next week.